Welcome to The Automators, a podcast about squeezing the marrow out of the automation on your technology and making it work even harder for you. I am David Sparks, joined by my fellow automator, Rosemary Orchard. Welcome to the show, Rosemary. Hello, David. I, I'm glad to be back on the show. I thought for a moment you weren't going to let me back there. That was a little odd, wasn't it? Well, it either was. way, uh, how are how are you doing? You you released a new book uh, with our last show. How's that going? Oh, it's going so well. I'm I'm really excited, really pleased that people are learning so much about shortcuts. And a lot of people have emailed me tips as well, which has been really interesting to read. So I'll be incorporating those into an update in the future. Take control of shortcuts from the Take Control series. We'll put a link in the show notes from your very own Rosemary Orchard. Y'all should go buy it right now. Okay, uh, we have a guest today. Welcome to the show, Tim Stringer. Great to be here. Tim was a guest on MPU years ago, and um, and we all know Tim as the proprietor of Learn OmniFocus. If you're an OmniFocus user, you should be checking that out. But Tim does a whole bunch of other stuff, too, and he is a very automation-savvy guy. Um, both Rose and I have these back-channel communications with Tim all the time about cool stuff he's doing, and we're like, we got to get this guy on the show. So we're so happy you agreed to come on the show and thanks for uh, joining us on The Automators. Oh, my pleasure. And yeah, really looking forward to, to diving in deep. And automation is definitely one of my favorite topics to talk about. So I think I've come to the right place. Yeah. Uh, Tim, I didn't realize until we were prepping for this show, um, is actually a, an engineer and goes back with computers back to the 80s and 90s and kind of has been down the road, just like I have. And we're not going to bore you with the old man talk about how computers used to be 2K and 4K and all that. But but it's, it is interesting from an automation standpoint, because I know you've been thinking about this essentially your whole life. Yeah, and I really got in on the ground floor with, with technology in general from programming my first HP calculator. Uh, I think that was in the early 80s. This was one that my dad dad brought home from work and had a little attach printer on it. And I was just in awe of this thing that's uh, such a, I guess, a trivial piece of technology today. But at the time, being able to write short little programs and have them output information and things seemed, seemed uh, you know, just amazing. It was almost like science fiction. And then I got into, in high school, I was uh, programming computers and even doing some basic robotics. And that led me to do a degree in electrical engineering with a strong computer systems focus. And I've just been completely fascinated about how all of this technology has grown up over the years and become more and more capable. Back in the day when I was an engineering student before I jumped ship and became a lawyer, uh, I had a Tandy, I think it was called the PC-8 or something like that. It was a, it was a pocket calculator and it you could program, you could write basic programs in it. And I would write engineering formulas and stuff in a basic program and run programs off my calculator. And I thought I just had it all figured out. Yeah, those are interesting times. Uh I also wrote yeah. a, if anyone still remembers BBS systems, a friend of mine and I wrote a, a BBS for his Commodore 64 that actually, in those days, we even connected to the internet through an acoustic coupler, which is where you actually put the telephone onto these yeah. these pads. And uh, it was just, it was just, uh, it was just very, uh, very into it in, in those days and just amazed at what, what could be done. And yeah, as I said, we were loading things off cassette drives and things not to date myself too much, but yeah, but yeah it's a whole new world now. And, but I think it is great to have those roots and just to really understand what's going on behind the scenes and sort of the, the nuts and bolts that hold everything together. 
Now, what what platforms are you automating on today? Uh, there's a variety of the three main ones. Uh, I've got the Keyboard Maestro has been a big favorite of mine on the, the Mac for, for many, many years. And uh, that's that's one I continue to, I think I'm into several hundred macros on there and it just continues to, to deliver. And yeah. um, I'm also a big fan of uh, Zapier. I've been using that for quite a few years at this point as well. And having things that happen in the web where possible without any devices being involved uh, is definitely very attractive. I don't need to worry about leaving a Mac on or or uh, updating software and things like that. And then the third is uh, shortcuts. And I've been really amazed with what Apple has done with that in iOS and iPad OS 13. Uh, it was, went far beyond what I was expecting them to, to do as an upgrade. So, And certainly watching your field guide, David, uh, got really got the, the wheels moving in terms of uh, exploring a whole bunch of different possibilities. Yeah, it's crazy how far shortcuts has come, and mm. and now they they're starting these apps are starting to show up from folks that are adding even additional tools. I've got an update planned to cover some of these you know, like um, these toolbox like apps where you've got a whole bunch of wild shortcut tools that that just it's an app for the purpose of creating shortcut tools. It's it's awesome, you know. And uh, anyway, but but I am super curious to hear about you talk today about how you're using these things. One of the interesting things and one of the reasons why I wanted you to have on the show is because I do know that you use a lot of web-based automation. You know, Learn OmniFocus is an, an online-based business, and of course you're going to have a bunch of online tools to keep that running. But we haven't had a lot of guests talk about, you know, the online-based automation. And and where do you draw the line? You know, where do you decide something is a keyboard maestro script versus something that you create in Zapier. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you today about some of your automations and, and where you draw that line. Yeah, sure. And one thing I, I really try to differentiate is the the design versus the implementation. I guess coming from my engineering background, that's a very natural distinction to make. And so I like the kind of the creative freedom of saying, wouldn't it be nice if I could do X without getting caught up in, well, this is going to be a lot of work, or I don't even know if this is technically possible or something like that. So so just giving myself the freedom to say, okay, this is the, the result I want to produce, um, even taking into account different scenarios where I'd like to, to behave differently, depending on where I'm physically located or what time of day it is or something like that. And then once I have a clear picture of what I want to create, it's much easier to decide, okay, what are the the tools in my toolbox that are, are going to facilitate this. And and sometimes I might say, okay, yeah, this is definitely something to do in, in Zapier or Keyboard Maestro or Shortcuts. Um, and what I've been doing more and more recently is actually creating automations that combine the 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 tools. So there might be a, I can talk about one in, in a moment about a shortcut that uh, triggers a Keyboard Maestro automation on the Mac and kind of gives me the best of both worlds. So but I think that's a key distinction is just coming coming up with the the concept of what you want to build, get creative, don't let the the implementation details bog you down and then and then say once you have that, is this possible to build the way I want it? And sometimes it's like eighty percent of the way there. Maybe there's some features that are missing in shortcuts or something like that. But uh at least that plan is in place and you have a design that can be implemented to some extent right now, and then maybe fully a year or two down the road once the, the tools catch up. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about how you actually go about designing these? Do you sit down with a pen and paper or do you just map it out uh, in your head? You know, where do you get started with coming up with the design of an automation? Um, Usually it's really just noticing that I'm doing the same thing over and over again or or if something feels tedious or I'm, you know, falling behind on certain sort of tasks. And then I'll typically just put it into a note. I currently keep them in the, the bare note-taking app. I've got a, an automation ideas note in there. And some of those might never get implemented. Some might get implemented tomorrow. But as I continue to have ideas around them, then I'll, I'll just add some notes. And if it's something more complex, I might uh, use a tool like MindNode or OmniGraffle to really map out all of the different scenarios in kind of more of a graphical way. And uh, then look at, you know, how to structure it and maybe how to to break it out. Maybe this one automation is involving multiple shortcuts or something like that. And I want to kind of component, componentize things. And and so this a lot of them, I think, are simple enough to just express as a note. But the more advanced ones get kind of more of a graphical design treatment. Mm-hmm. That's a very smart way of doing it. Yeah, it's like, I know you well enough, Tim, you're like me. It's like some folks, you know, for fun, watch baseball, you know, for me, I have a list of little automations I want to build. So, you know, that equation as to the time it takes to build it versus the return on investment, uh, sometimes it doesn't really equate out. But for me, it's almost like a hobby thing. So I've always got a list of things I want to automate at some point. Yeah, yeah. One one point to make there. I I don't think automation is really just about saving time. It's about producing consistent results. So yeah. there might be something I could do very easily in a very short amount of time, but maybe it's something I don't even want to be thinking about. Um, and maybe it's that one sort of condition that shows up every few months, and I want to have it taken care of, or or just have a very clean notification to let me know what's going on. So. Uh, if it were just about saving time, it probably wouldn't be worth the the time I put into developing it. But that's sort of the the pressure that it takes off and the added trust that it gives me in my system that makes it totally worthwhile. And I think it's time well spent too, just having some fun with these things. And uh, I used to play with Lego and Meccano as a, a kids, and so this is, I think, in a way, the the modern equivalent for me. Yes, shortcuts is a hobby. It can go anywhere with you on your iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it, 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 I mean, let's, let's be honest. The three of us, I know. Like, I treat it like as a game. You know, laying in bed, I will be playing with shortcut tools. You know, or my wife would be sitting next to me playing a game. So it's just, it, it's just fun to make your devices do things. And uh, the the whole reason we make this show is that anybody can do it with automation tools. You don't need to learn Xcode. You don't need to have this heavy load to carry. And it's it's really quite fun. So, so why don't we talk about that, Tim? Uh, share some automation with us. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to start with, like, what's a small automation that you use often that that helps you out? Um, one that I use all the time is uh, just simply driving to the next event. Um, that's that's very useful, and I'll have some little prompts in there, like, do I want to start my Overcast podcast playing back? And and uh, if my wife's in the car, I usually don't start that up. She's not always. Uh, interested in the same podcast, but uh, yeah, just something as simple as that where I just sit in the car. I've actually got it triggered now by an iBeacon. Um, so I just get in the car and press a button and it's uh, it's off to the races. And, and um, in some cases it might send a message to say, I'm on my way. Here's my 
estimated time of arrival, things like that. But it's just one of those things, especially if I am running a little late or something like that. And it, it does take the pressure off. I don't have to go like digging for an address or something like that. It's I'm listening to my favorite podcasts on the journey and it just, uh, it just removes a little bit of that, that friction there. Let's break that one down a little bit. We just covered iBeacon in our last episode. I don't think Rose, we mentioned, but that's a good idea to put an iBeacon in your car because you can turn down the transmission power enough that it's a very small bubble of, of trigger. Mm-hmm. And so Tim, Tim's using the iBeacon as trigger. I guess you're using what are you using push cuts to start a shortcut. Is that how you're doing it? Uh, yeah. Until recently I was using launch center pro, but I've starting started to move those things over to push cuts just to uh, get a little bit more flexibility in some of those cases. And, um, and that's a case where I don't really need to launch it manually. It's, it's really intended to be launched, launched automatically. Yeah. So what, do, what does a shortcut do? It, it, it gives you a question about because uh, you talked about sending text messages and playing podcasts. It sounds to me like you've got several elements to that shortcut. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, it'll ask if I want to continue my podcast playback and that'll trigger the latest podcast on Overcast to resume. And then it'll pull a list of upcoming events. Uh, I think I have a just set for that day and give me a menu. I'll select that item and then I'm then I'm on my way. Um, if I'm heading home specifically, so if I'm not at home, uh, and this is a little enhancement I still need to put in where it's going to detect you're not at home, then I would typically send a message to my wife saying I'm on my way. Uh, here's my estimated time of arrival. And so I, and that sends automatically in the background too. So I'm, it's part of that one, one button click and, and yeah, just one of those things I could easily do it manually, but, uh, the uh, the sort of the friction that it relieves from having that all happen automatically is what really makes it attractive. And I think that having the eye beacon is the the icing on the cake because uh, it's not good. It's only going to show up when it's appropriate to to show up. And I don't really even need any other way to trigger it. It's just just pretty automatic at that point. Yeah, I'm thinking that uh, different ways you could trigger that. You could trigger it with an NFC sticker, like if you put a sticker in your car if you didn't want to do eye beacon where you could tap the phone on the sticker. You could also, if you had CarPlay, um, most CarPlay cars require you to plug in. So the plug-in of the CarPlay could trigger it. Um, so there's a lot of ways you could do it, but I think the iBeacon is a very elegant way of doing that because it doesn't require any really action by you. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing you just said that I have not ex- experimented with, uh, you said, well, if I am getting in the car and I'm not home, I want to send my wife a text message. So the the automation there would be get the current location and compare it to your home address. If it's not my home address, then do this thing. In this case, send a text message. Yep, exactly. Um, so um, I just honestly, I hadn't thought about doing it in that way. Does does shortcuts do that natively, uh, where you can look for a negative? Say if I'm not at this location. Um, I don't know if that would be possible to be done natively. I think that's where something like pushcut would would come into play. Okay. Yeah, I'd need to experiment with that a little bit more just to. Yeah, yeah, you haven't built yeah. that one yet. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Some and some of these are a little aspirational. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way of actually telling is my wife in the car. Um, I don't think the find my uh, short shortcut functionality actually exposes that yet. But I, I think as as much as possible, I like these things to happen automatically and kind of uh, tune into the surrounding. Who's there? Where am I? Even what's the weather? Mm-hmm. Like right now, and then have the 
the automations adapt according to those those circumstances. It'd be cool if you could pull like AirDrop because AirDrop knows if your wife is near. Oh yeah, that's a great um, idea. Yeah, but the yeah. um, but I don't think that's really possible yet with shortcuts. Yeah, yeah. So that's a case where it's maybe eighty percent of the way that I I want it, and maybe in iOS fourteen it'll have those extra features that uh, that take me all the way. Rose, have you ever looked for a negative on a map search like like Tim's describing? So I am literally playing with it right now. And this is so this is a really annoying thing. So what you have to do is you have to compare something like the street or the zip code, um, which depending on where you live. So, for example, when I'm at home, um, my building is officially on one street, but my flat is on the corner of the building. So whenever I look up my address with location, it actually says I'm a different street address. So I think the best bet for that is to get your current location and to say, like, if the latitude uh, is, like, you know, less than this or more than that, um, and if the longitude is less than this and more than that, then do this, um, which is going to require, like, four nested if statements. But it's doable. Um, It would be really nice to be able to compare locations. Ironically, if you put the location in the second field for comparison, then you can actually have it a whole street address. But I'm struggling to actually compare street addresses here. Yeah, I, I would I would think like for a lot of people, though, you're not going to have the problem Rose has where it's returning to street addresses. So Well, it depends say, on where you live. Yeah, yeah but if, if you don't have that problem, you could just say if the street, if the street name matches, then you don't, then, then you, then you're a positive that you're at home. So if it, if the street name doesn't match, then you've got then you run the the automation. Does that make sense? Or maybe even uh, the distance from home, if it's less than two hundred meters or something like that, yeah. then that I'm I'm probably not driving anyway, so I can assume yeah. that I'm at home if I'm within that that sort of geofence of them. Yeah, interesting. I'll put a link to to the dummy that I've just set up in the show notes. Uh, it's comparing Apple Park with uh, your current location. So if you're at Apple Park, this is not going to work while you're running it, but I'm sure you can figure out how to modify it. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I, the one problem I was thinking with iBeacon in the car is like I do a lot of yard work. And I could just see the thing triggering when I'm pulling weeds, you know, because I'm close enough to the car. But I think turning the power down on it and I keep it in the uh, I keep it in the glove box and it's. The fact it's enclosed, you know, in metal car yeah. is probably going to limit its range a little bit intrinsically. So I think it's just a matter of playing with the uh, the signal strength on the iBeacon to to fine tune it so that until you're, you know, within a few feet of the car, it's, it's uh, not going to detect it. Yeah, I think that's a very uh, common fodder for automation, though, getting in the car. I mean, there, a lot of people have built uh, shortcuts around wake up in the morning, kind of the morning routine shortcut. I put one in the shortcuts field guide. I think, Rose, did you put one of those in your book as well? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. Yeah, that's, that's like everybody. But I think the car one is also a really good one for folks. If you want to get a started automation, you know, trying to, um, you know, what do I do when I get in the car? Because a lot of people have do different things. Maybe there's a different show or a different playlist you want. So that's something worth trying. I've been playing a bit with the opposite scenario where I'm actually leaving the 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 eye beacon and and there's it's not as quite as good as it could be i think there's about a 30 second delay before it actually notifies but it's still useful so one use case there is i've i work at a co-working space in downtown vancouver a couple of days a week and when i leave my desk then i want to make sure my my mac gets gets locked so it'll trigger a keyboard maestro 
script once I leave that, uh, if I've been gone for more than 30 seconds and actually lock the, uh, lock the computer there. So I found that's, that's very useful as well. And that's something I've been doing with, with Pushcut as well. Yeah. So that's an eye beacon at the desk. Eye beacon at the desk. Yeah. It's just sitting in the desk drawer and, and I've got the, I've got the, uh, the signal strength set very low on that. So once I walk, you know, maybe about 10 feet, feet away from the desk, then it's already at least triggering that. And if I do happen to just walk away for 10 seconds or something, come back in, nothing's going to happen. But if I'm gone for about 30 seconds, that's where it'll trigger the computer to look. That's a really useful shortcut because I, I have the same thing at work where I could wander away from my desk. And if I'm just running to the printer, I don't really need to lock my computer. Um, but the rest of the time, you know, I leave my desk. If I'm going to the kitchen to get a glass of water, there's a fairly good chance I'm going to get sidetracked by a colleague. Um, so I should actually add that. So I have an eye beacon on my desk already for helping me track my time. I should also have a push cut, give me a menu of options there so that I can lock my computer or track my time uh, or both. Yeah, yeah, that sounds perfect, Tim. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Clean My Mac X. Make your Mac good as new. Get Clean My Mac X today with a 30% discount at macpaw.com automators. When's the last time you took a good look at all the cruft on your Mac? I'm guessing it's been a while because that's a bunch of work. Why don't you make that job easy with Clean My Mac X? It has a bunch of useful features like system junk removal module and space lens, which lets you see a size comparison of all your folders to detect those that take too much space. Clean My Mac X is one of the best investments you can make to get your old Mac working as good as new. And it's different from your average Mac optimization tool. It has real-time malware monitor, which works in the background, scanning your Mac for potential threats and notifying you if anything is detected. And it's not just great for security stuff either. It's great help when it comes to uninstalling apps from your Mac because it removes both the app and the leftover data to help you avoid digital clutter. Clean My Mac X is reliable. I've been using it on my Mac for years. I love the clean interface. And I love the way when it's done, it always finds additional space on my hard drive and ways to make my Mac run faster and cleaner. Clean My Mac X is notarized by Apple, so you know it's been checked by Apple for malicious components. And you can get Clean My Mac X today with a 30% discount at macpaw.com automators. Now that discount's only good for a few weeks until January 17. So go now to macpaw.com automators, install Clean My Mac X on your Mac, and make it run brilliantly. Our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support of the automators and all of FM. All right, um, Tim, you have a website called Learn OmniFocus. I want to hear some of your OmniFocus automation. Yeah, sure. Um, it, I, most of my OmniFocus automations uh, are on on uh, Keyboard Maestro, and and uh, I, I tend to be more Mac-based. I certainly make good use of the iPhone and iPad, but uh, a lot of them happen on the Mac. And um, some of them are just very simple. I'm not sure I'd even call them automations. I just want to be able to quickly jump to a perspective or quickly activate quick open or something like that, wherever I happen to be. Um, the ones that are the main ones that I use within OmniFocus itself are Apple scripts that uh, either other people have written and I'm using as is or other people have written and I'm using them with a few few modifications. So uh, things like populate template placeholders that... Uh, Kurt Clifton wrote, I, I use that to generate a lot of the the projects for especially the typical things I do, like new content development, 
uh, ones to tally up the estimated hours, things like that. And on the iOS side of things, the shortcuts I have over there are more about kind of accessing things quickly, a specific perspective or a tag or something like that, and essentially bringing kind of a quick open type functionality on the iPads because I tend to be more accessing projects and actions there than, than I am creating them or, or doing sort of the types of things I would do on the Mac. So, but just having that really quick access to what I need and getting to where I need to be, um, I found that to be very useful. And in some cases I'll also bring up a, uh, like the one I mentioned about the, the iBeacon at the, at my uh, co-working space. So I'll have it actually bring up the hot list when I get back to my desk. Cause it's, I think easy to get uh, sidetracked. So I want to see what are my most important actions and OmniFocus and really keep that on my radar as I go through the day. Yeah, hot list is your perspective showing your your most important tasks. Yeah, everything that's either either flagged uh, or or is going to be due soon goes on that list. And it's usually a fairly small list, maybe 10 to 15 things at the most. And uh, But kind of the... The productive day is really uh, completing everything on that hot list, and anything beyond that is is kind of bonus. It's interesting to me that you're using the Kirk Clifton scripts. I have been, I kind of gave up on those, and I've been using the the shortcut, you know, automation because the shortcut stuff is really powerful in OmniFocus. I'm, you know, I'm just surprised you don't do that for your template builds. I think the yeah the main reason I haven't gotten into that habit is I tend to experiment with different namings and things like that and so yeah. if I change the name of a tag that means going back and and changing all the scripts and so forth. Um, gotcha. Though Rose did write a very clever shortcut that allows me to use the the templates in the form they were designed for Kirk Clifton's script and I can actually run those on as a shortcut as well. So if I want to want to create a new project on my iPad, for instance, I can still tap into that same same functionality. And it's something, yeah, I'm going to kind of explore over time, especially now that uh, that uh, with, especially with OmniFocus 3.4, they've got uh, a lot more options in terms of using shortcuts within, uh, uh, using OmniFocus within shortcuts with the parameter-based yeah. shortcuts and so forth. So that's definitely got the wheels turning. <laughs> I'll tell you, every time I corner the shortcuts team at Apple, I complain about the the notes field, you know, the text field, because basically because of OmniFocus templates, because they're they're long text for me. I mean, I've got kind of complex templates. I I use them when I make new companies and do legal work, and but the working in that tiny text field is just madness. And uh, I that that is one reason why I can understand why you want to keep doing it on the Mac. And I think the the one way around that is to keep those where possible to keep yeah. at least some of that code in drafts and just reference yeah, it from there. And especially now with drafts on the Mac, uh, I think that's what might kind of pull me over to to doing more of that sort of thing. Just the convenience of, okay, I did change the name of one of my tags, but I can go into drafts on the Mac and make that change and it automatically gets picked up by the, the shortcuts. So it's the drafts essentially becomes like a library that shortcuts uses and and I think that greatly reduces the the amount of code that needs to go into the shortcuts themselves and then can, can be reused and opens up a lot of options there. But there's still a problem. There's still a problem. Let me just finish it. Uh, the, uh, you have to put the tokens in for the variables. And that's like, I don't know if you guys, when kids, I don't know if they had this game in, in the UK, Rose, but we had a game in the US called Operation. Yes. 
Yeah, it's like playing a game of operations, putting those tokens in in the text field in shortcuts. It'll make you crazy. I actually have a slightly different solution to to the problem of templates because I don't like keeping them in OmniFocus because every so often when I'm searching, you know, I have to search for everything because I'm looking for something that was also completed or dropped or maybe on hold and then my templates pop up and it's it's annoying. Um, so I've put all of it in drafts, but I actually have a whole uh, action group in drafts where it populates the template placeholders. It's basically you copy out what is currently in the OmniFocus with the the French quotation marks, for example, if you're using the original Kirk Clifton uh, style of templates, and then it finds those and replaces them for you. Um, and that works really well for me because then all of my templates are in drafts and they work on all the platforms. Yeah, and then you don't need the tokens because you're doing it in drafts. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I should uh, that's do very that, cool. But yeah. I gotta, I gotta, that would take time for me to go back and redo everything. So <laughs> I'm torn between the time it would take to do it right in drafts or just you know, hobble along with the uh, shortcuts text field. You could always hire that one out to an assistant, David. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. When it comes to automation stuff, I want to make sure it's, you know, it's got to be right. Like Tim was saying earlier, this is a place to get accuracy as well. So mm -hmm. that's that's hard for me. Um, you had mentioned uh, you also had a real simple OmniFocus action when you have a client meeting that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, so while this is not specific to, to OmniFocus, um, but I do a lot of, I use Zoom extensively. Um, I practically live on Zoom some days and, and work with people all over the world. Sometimes I'm doing one-on-one -on -one work or I might be doing training for a group or leading a Learn OmniFocus session or something like that. And, and so I have a, uh, a shortcut I call prepare to Zoom. And so I trigger that usually by voice. And that does some things in my environment. It puts the Apple TV to sleep. So if there's music playing that uh, stops the music, it uses HomeKit to adjust the lighting in, in my office here. And then it uh, triggers a keyboard maestro shortcut. And the specific one it triggers depends on what the upcoming meeting is. So it's actually looking at the calendar. Um, if I'm doing something for Learn OmniFocus, I actually use a different user account on my on my Mac, so it's a different different uh, keyboard maestro macro entirely. Uh, but either way, it'll go through a whole sequence of things that involves. Uh, if it's a client meeting, it's going to create a create a new note in Bear with the the date of the meeting, and it's going to adjust the camera settings so I've got the right right zoom level and everything. Uh, it's going to um, turn on the do not disturb if it's not on already, so it goes through a whole sequence. And the nice thing is if I think of some more things that I'd like to happen, I can just go into Keyboard Maestro and add that to the list. And this kind of came out of um, the way I've done this in the past is to have a checklist and OmniFocus that I go through when I'm, for instance, preparing to, to do a, a call like this. And it was kind of getting tedious and there's quite a long list of things just to make sure all the devices are silenced and so forth. So as much as possible, I've been taking all those checklist items and just having them happen automatically. And there's a, there's a few that by nature need to be done manually, but I'm finding more and more I can, I can just speak those, those words and it, uh, everything just magically happens. And I just sit back and enjoy the show. Yeah. I do something very similar before I podcast and it was the exact same problem. I had a checklist. I'm like, why am I manually doing all this stuff when keyboard maestro could do it for me? Um, uh, and it's actually better, more accurately put the windows exactly where you want them and, and make sure you never forget anything. So 
I think this is something a lot of people could use. Uh, one of the things you said, though, I'd like to unpack a little bit is you said you trigger it by voice, and that's on your Mac, right? Uh, yep, that's on the, well, I trigger it actually on the iPhone typically or the iPad. So how does it go from triggering it on your iPhone to keyboard maestro performing actions? Uh, so that's where it's, they've got it set up to trigger based on a URL in keyboard maestro. Okay. And so this is essentially a public URL, but it's long and complicated. So unless someone happened to find it in some document or something somewhere, it's, it's, uh, not likely to be triggered by anyone except for, for me and anyone I happen to share it with. Um, so it's really just a matter of, of, tr- of it within the shortcut, there's just a URL command and it, it causes keyboard maestro to, to wake up and do its things. And, and that's what's, that was really an aha moment when I realized that was possible because there's certain things that can't be done in shortcuts, but can be done in keyboard maestro. And there's things that can't be done in, uh, in in keyboard maestro but can be done in shortcuts so this way i can easily easily create something that uses the best of both technologies and if i wanted to get really fancy i could even have a zapier a zap that triggers a keyboard maestro or or through push cuts it could even trigger something to happen on the the ios device so it's it's kind of connecting all of these these technologies that on the surface seem rather separate but with a little little bit of wizardry that once you've done a, it's, you know, actually not that difficult to, to do in the future. It uh, suddenly gives this whole integrated system that's, yeah, just where I can kind of choose the best pieces of all of these different technologies. Yeah, the, that, the interesting point about that is this URL triggers are recognized by all three of these automation platforms, online uh, shortcuts and 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 uh, keyboard maestro. So it gives you a universal trigger that can go across them. And if you're struggling right now with something to do that, you should look into these URL triggers because that is uh, that's a great solution. I've been using URL triggers quite a bit recently, especially combined with um, so with it, the URL triggers for keyboard maestro. You can specify if it should trigger on all computers or just one computer. Um, and there are some things that I want to use on all of my computers if they're online, including the ones at work, um, versus um, I, I'm quite happy for it to just run on the one at home and hopefully the one at home is still running. Um, so it's it's a very useful feature and I've been very much enjoying my experiments with it, especially I at one point had uh, something, I'm, I've got rid of it now, but I had uh, shortcuts triggering Keyboard Maestro and when Keyboard Maestro was finished, it was then triggering PushCut so that I would know that it had finished. So I was uh, having one device talk to another, which was then talking back, uh, which was great fun. Oh, so PushCut was basically just letting you know that the, the automation had run successfully. Yeah, and so that then I could pick up and do the next part that I wanted to do because that had manual steps involved in it. I've managed to now in- automate the entire thing, which I'm very happy about, but I kind of miss the, the fun of shortcuts triggers keep on maestro triggers push cut because it, it sounds like a Rube Goldman big machine and it kind of is but it was great fun yeah yeah oh no i think the the sky's the limit once we have all these connections to through the url shortcuts i have to admit though for me the setup shortcuts like all the keyboard maestro stuff to to prepare for podcasting or doing one of these things i really since i got the stream deck in my life i've just got a row of buttons dedicated to those and there's something very satisfying about sitting down and pressing a button on the stream deck and having your computer just reconfigure itself for you like a transformer. 
Oh, so yeah, I've got a Stream Deck as well too, uh, the XL one, the, the bigger one. And I find that especially useful when I'm on, especially when I'm like hosting an Learn OmniFocus session or something like that, where there's a lot going on. I'm presenting on a topic that messages are flying into the, the chat box. And the, the last thing I want to think about is what's the uh, keyboard shortcut to turn on screen sharing or something like that. And so that's where I have just a nice row of keys. And if I decide I want to share the screen, I just press a button and, and uh Either it just triggers a keyboard shortcut or it triggers a keyboard maestro automation that walks through the steps to make that happen. And yeah, just really, really takes the pressure off. Yes, I've been, I've been experimenting. I only got the 16 button Stream Deck, but I think I'm going to end up with 32 as well. And then the 16 can be, you know, it can travel everywhere with my laptop, basically. <laughs> it's worth noting, too, that keyboard maestro now supports the Stream Deck. and mm. Yeah. And the icons can even be changed as a result of what's happening in the keyboard maestro uh, macro. So if so, if things are changing, they can reveal a status of this is in progress or on hold or it's done or something like that. And, and uh, so in addition to having buttons to press that do things, I find it's really nice to have a status panel so I can monitor what what is actually going on. And is I could so I for instance I could look at the menu and zoom and say is the menu item saying mute item in which case i know that the the microphone is live um and, and then i could have it so i press the button and it actually changes the state of it so it's giving the the feature as well as well as the status it's it's just really nice i mean i somebody was asking me recently do i really need one of these things i'm not sure i would tell anybody they really need one of them you could do all this stuff with keyboard shortcuts. And if you're into automation, I mean, we I talked in the keyboard maestro field guide about the hyper key, but that stuff is out there where, you know, there's a lot of ways you can trigger shortcuts and palettes and keyboard maestro are awesome, which give you even more flexibility. So you could do all this stuff without a stream deck, but uh, as someone who doesn't like to have a lot of extra stuff on my desk, the stream deck has absolutely earned its place for me. Mm-hmm. Right now, I have a Christmas music button. I want Christmas music. I just push a button. That'll go away in a couple of weeks, but it's pretty cool. Actually, that'll probably be gone by the time the show publishes, but um, it's kind of fun that you can set those little buttons up like that. I think they can also serve as a visual reminder. So if you kind of have a different panel of buttons, that's a reminder of what you're, what sort of work mode you're in, or maybe you're not even working and they're more yeah. geared towards you know, watching some media or entertainment or something like that. So it can be... That's something you don't get from a keyboard. The keyboard looks the same every time you look yeah. at it, but the Stream Deck can can really shift. Uh, yeah, just uh, kind of cue the things that you maybe want to be doing right now. Provide as little friction as possible to 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 actually do them by giving that one button click to them. Yeah, I have I have no regrets over this purchase. Maybe one day, Rose, we'll just have to do a show on this, all the stuff we're doing with these Stream Decks. I don't know. Well, I think it would be interesting to see both what we're doing with Stream Decks and what we're not doing with Stream Decks because we've solved them in other ways. So, Yeah, yeah. I've even heard right. of people having multiple Stream Decks where you can have one that kind of sets the, the mode for the other one too. So. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there, there's uh, somebody in the forums, I believe Martin Packer has two of them. And uh, he originally thought that he was going to be fine with the 16 and then he got the 32 and now he's using both. So. Which in some cases, like if you're in a recording studio or something, I can totally see the need for having all those buttons too. So I think it's uh, there's definitely some some good use cases there. I saw that thread and I just skipped it. I did not read it. 
uh, intentionally. I feel like that's uh, kryptonite for me. I don't want to get near it. <laughs> yes, Sparky needs more stream decks. That's yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> you need one for each monitor, I think, at least. <laughs> yeah, at least, at least. <laughs> I want to wear one on my arm. You know, just let's go all the way. Make it Bluetooth. I can just strap it to my arm. <laughs> they, they do have an app as well that runs on the iPhone. Uh, that's kind yeah. of I guess I've, I've, I've yeah. haven't actually used it, but. Um, yeah, that's a subscription option, but it's great to try out if you're looking at the Stream Deck going, I don't know if I want it, because the Stream Deck hardware itself can be kind of pricey. Um, though, if you get it on sale on Amazon, it's worth it, um, uh, for sure. And even if you don't, if, you, if you've got the right automations, it's great. But if you want to try it, then you can try the Stream Deck app on like an iPhone or an iPad and, and subscribe for a month to see if it's worth it for you. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content or how effective your marketing, the most likely bounce if your website is loading too slow. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experience, so you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, device, and platform they use. Identify how visitors are experiencing your website so you can make informed optimizations to deliver great performance to those who matter most. And did we mention it's built for scalability? Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then, when you sign up, use the code AUTOMATORS in all capitals at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. So, Tim, you already mentioned that you've got some things going on with Zapier, but I'm sure you've got more than just one or two automations. Could you tell us some more about what you're doing with that? Yeah, sure. Uh, a lot of them revolve around Learn OmniFocus, and that's a, a WordPress site. And a couple of the uh, the plugin, the components of the the site uh, do have support for Zapier, in particular WooCommerce, which is what I use for all of the e-commerce tran- uh, transactions and subscriptions and so forth. As well as um, there's an excellent WordPress plugin called Gravity Forms. So I can essentially create zaps that treat these the WooCommerce and the Gravity Forms as just like other services. And so I could say if a one that I uh, built quite recently is if if there's a pay- payment that fails, it creates a task in Asana to to follow up with it. Um, and the reason I put it in Asana is I'm starting to kind of move some things out of OmniFocus uh, in order to have an assistant who's going to be dealing with that stuff so I can start to take some some uh, load off my shoulders. and um, But it just automatically happens in the background. So instead of getting an email to say this payment is failed, it's just adding it to the list in Asana. It's even pulling in the information about when was the last subscription payment. Uh, it automatically builds a link that I can click on that takes me back into the um, WordPress site, back to that specific record in WooCommerce so I can get a better idea of what's going on. And one nice thing about that is it really just takes email out of the equation. I don't even, I still do just for 
for, for extra coverage, get email notifications, but I don't really need to pay much attention to them because I know that the, this list is being built and then whether it's me or in the future, somebody else can maybe once a day go through that and, and take care of any, any follow-up that's needed. That's a, that's a really smart way of doing things because especially, you know, David's joke before that he doesn't need an assistant because you, you have automation, but you can also use automation to make it possible to get an assistant because you can, you know, as you're doing here, to send things off to different places depending on who should be dealing with it or if anybody can deal with it versus one specific person has to deal with it. I know for a lot of my things, I am the only person that could deal with this, but maybe at some point I should consider uh, getting some help with some of the 8 million things that I'm doing. So I'm definitely going to bear that in mind. And even if it were only me, it's a way of compartmentalizing the things to say, okay, I'm going to take 10 minutes uh, every day and just deal with this, these types of issues. And then the lists are already built. I just go to them, check them off and, and, uh, and things are taken care of. And then on the OmniFocus side of things, all I need to do is have an action that repeats maybe every weekday saying review failed orders. And that has a link into Asana. I do whatever I need to do, check them complete. And, and it, it just takes, takes a lot of the friction out of it and keeps OmniFocus nice and clean and and then it opens up the door for someone else to do that work. And even if I'm on vacation or something like that, these these tasks are automatically being assigned based on certain things that are happening within the website. Yeah, I, I'm doing the same thing. I, I'm using Basecamp because I've got for a variety of reasons, but the um I've got people helping me as well. And and that stuff doesn't work out of OmniFocus. And and I find a cloud service perfect for when you're working with a team that's not you know, in your office every day to get what they need to get updated statuses and Zapier. It, we, we did a show on Zapier in the past, but the um, Zapier is a great way because it, it hooks into almost all of those services and depending on the service, but with most of them, it's got real deep hooks. I mean, creating tasks in Basecamp, for example, you, you can do that very easily with something like Zapier and, and that is a great way to offload work if you're working with other people. I'm with you, Tim. And sometimes it's the opposite direction too, where someone assigns you a task in Basecamp and you just want to have that show up in OmniFocus. Because uh, I know that's where people get a little paralyzed sometimes is they've got like so many places potentially that they're being assigned things to work on and they're involved in multiple companies who use a variety of different collaborative systems. So so having something that's takes all of those and collaborates and builds them onto one list. So in my case, it would be OmniFocus, but it could be uh, could be Todoist, it could be Things or something like that. Something that consolidates everything and has a link back to the assigned tasks. I think that can be very valuable. I, I try to have one direction for all of my task assignment. It all goes out and none of it comes back. Okay. If at all possible. So, <laughs> yeah, so, I think I need to be doing more of that too. Yes, I yeah. long for those days. Hopefully, in yeah. the not too distant future. But but um, having an automation to get that stuff assigned out to keep track of it is, I think, real smart. Definitely. And, and well within well within you know the capabilities of something like Zapier. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, another use case too is um, I've got a. Uh, there's instances where if I get uh, somebody filling out the, the customer support form and they have a billing related inquiry, I try to deal with those right away. Uh, occasionally people aren't expecting a charge or something and they're calling their credit card company and I try to kind of uh, curb those. And e even if I am 
running things exactly the way I should be, it can be a, like a three or four month process to resolve these things and create a lot of extra work. So I've got ones where if people do fill out the form and it's a billing related inquiry, um, I'm currently using pushover for that where it, uh, the gravity forms uh, through the zap sends the notification to pushover and pushover essentially builds a list of all of the ones that have come in. So if I'm on vacation or something like that, then I get something showing up in pushover. I know it needs to be the first thing I've dealt with. So even if I'm not checking my email regularly, at least it's bringing that to the, the forefront and, and I, I just deal with it and then I remove it from the queue and push over and I'm good to go at that point. Well, when I meet um, automators listeners at you know conferences and whatnot, often they're very deep into shortcuts and keyboard maestro and, you know, like text expander and the other kind of usual suspects on the Apple platforms. Rarely are they trying any of this cloud stuff. And I, I really would like you, if you're listening to this right now, challenge you to go out, you know, set up an if this, then, then, then that account maybe tease with Zapier. There was another service, I forget, what was it called? Integramet. Integramet that's also getting some traction. Play with some of these services and just see if they can solve some of your problems. Because Tim said earlier in the show, the nice thing about the online stuff is you don't have to have a Mac running to make sure they work. And you may find that this solves problems that others can't. Definitely. And I, I love the fact that these run entirely in the cloud off of my devices. So there's nothing for me to be concerned about there. I don't have to make sure that I'm sitting in front of my device when the notification comes into push cut so that I can run my shortcut because Zapier has just handled the entirety of, for example, a new uh, suite setup post for me without me even thinking about it. And then, you know, if there are things that I need to follow up on later that aren't urgent, they go into my OmniFocus and urgent things, you know, get pushed over to me, just like you're using pushover, Tim. I, I use PushCut for everything now, I have to say. Um, I've given up on, on using the alternatives. I was using uh, PushBullet before, um, but everything now just comes at me through push, push uh, sorry, through PushCut. One thing I do like about pushover, and I'm not sure if this is possible in pushcut, but it'll actually build a list of notifications right within mm -hmm. the app. Um, and that can be useful. I'm not typically getting that many, fortunately, but uh, there is something about just instead of relying on the notification center, uh, having its own queue that I can go through and just double check that if it's important enough that it ended up in pushover, I, I want to have that sort of extra verification that has been dealt with. So I might be able to do that some other way. I guess I could be adding them to a, an Asana project the way I do with the, the payment failures and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those that I've been using for several years now and it's it's kind of, kind of stuck. So Tim, which automation of all of yours gives you the most delight? Which one makes you smile every time it runs? Hmm, that's a tough call. I think they, they all do to some extent. <laughs> um, I'd have to say the one I mentioned earlier, the prepare to Zoom, um, because that used to be something where I'd need to start sort of getting ready like 10, 15 minutes before, and there'd still be that concern that I missed something on the list because I got distracted. And, and just being able to not even have to push a button, but just speak a few words while I'm making some tea in the kitchen or something like that. And everything takes care of itself. And yeah, I think that just feels like total magic to me. And I can go on to that online session, just knowing that things are good to go. Now, I, I would like to have one of those that can also uh, run the 15 meter ethernet cable down my hallway for me, uh, because we don't have an ethernet drop point in the bedroom where I record. Um, and so I run an ethernet cable down the hallway and under the door. And when Keyboard Maestro can do that, then I'm going to pop open the champagne. 
in the meantime, it can do the software side of things nicely, though. I just need a, can't you use your, what's your vacuum cleaner called again? Then Maybe you can hook it onto that and send it down the hall. Or... Yeah. yeah, it's pretty loud, unfortunately. So uh, oh, okay. I'm not sure that that's going to work. I think I think there's space there for a HomeKit-enabled cable cannon that will fire a cable out of it, the end of it. And mm. if you can get the aim just right, it could land in the socket on the other end. That would be beautiful. I'm just wondering, actually. Remember there were these spherables, like BB-8s and stuff. Yeah, Maybe yeah, yeah. one of those could do it for me. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think a general purpose, like a HomeKit robot or something like that, that could... Not just plug in your Ethernet cable, but make you a cup of tea or just ferry things around the apartment. You know, you come in and you drop drop your bag on it, and it goes off and puts it in the right place for you, and maybe even gets out your lunchbox to put it in the dishwasher. So that would yeah, be nice. sure. Why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I'm sure I kind of laugh, laugh right at it that. now, but I think five years from now or or less, it'll probably be a you know a fairly common occurrence. When we have our robot overlords, somebody will say, "How did this get started?" And someone <laughs> will say, "Well, Rosemary Orchard wanted her Ethernet cable plugged in." And that, that was the beginning. <laughs> I apologize in advance. It's not my fault. I blame David. <laughs> there we go. I'm officially absolved of all responsibility. There you go. Uh, Tim, you, you are very active in both online and Mac and iOS-based automation. Um, where you, you talked about that 80% automation earlier and the stuff that, that you can almost get there with. What is the 20% that you would really like to see get fixed? I mean, if, if someone gave you power to, to make changes to these platforms, um, what would you like to see improved? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there's some instances where kind of I need to push a button in shortcuts or something like that where it'd be nice to not have that extra step. Confirmation. Yeah, confirmation. At the same we time, I can see why Apple, I can see the logic of why they did things uh, the way they did, uh, just to kind of protect people from themselves, I think, by adding in that extra extra step. And people might complain, complain about it, but I think there are instances where it's things can go off the rails pretty quickly if if uh, a shortcut goes awry or something like that. The way I'd solve that is I would leave it just as it is, but I would add a preference switch to say no confirmations. And that way, you know, maybe even give me a warning when I push the button. But there's a lot of power users out there that just don't want that. And and I'm one of them. Or a, a compromise might be to say, give a 10 second, start a 10 second timer where if I don't click cancel within 10 seconds, then it's just going to proceed. Um, so especially in cases where it might be doing something potentially unwanted in some situations, I think having that that little sort of visual cue might make sense. Definitely. And beyond that, I think just exposing more system services too. Um, I find with iOS and iPadOS 13, there's a lot, lot less. Uh, I don't. I had a lot fewer sort of roadblocks where I want to do something and realize it's not actually supported. And uh, I found that was happening a lot in iOS 12. Um, and for cases where it's not sort of part of the standard tool set of shortcuts, um, another app that I've been been using uh, more and more is called Toolbox Pro, and that essentially just exposes a lot of the features that are built into the uh, iOS and iPad OS through this app. Uh, for instance, I built a shortcut that scans a receipt and and prompts me for who it's being paid to and the date, and it puts it into a, a folder in Dropbox that gets picked up by Hazel that puts it in the right place. 
And so it's giving me the same scanner that I would have if I were using the Notes app, and I can do all the OCR and everything on it, uh, but allowing me to build that right into a, a shortcut. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, there, there is, if you haven't seen it yet, gang, and you're a shortcut user, there is this crop of applications uh, coming out where people are using the developer kit to build additional tools for shortcuts that are available to developers, but not necessarily surfaced by a particular app. And I think Toolbox Pro is probably the best of them, but there also there's Shortcuts Utilities, Shortcutify. There's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to do a show on, we're definitely going to cover this on Automators, but like just there's all co- sorts of cool stuff you can do out of Toolbox Pro. And the way it works is you install the app and it's kind of like when we used to get these keyboard apps for your iPhone. You know, you download a keyboard app and the app didn't really do anything. But when you went into the settings, you could enable the keyboard. Well, these, it's an app you install that doesn't really do anything. But then when you go in shortcuts and you go to add a new shortcut step, there's a whole set under listing for Toolbox Pro. And mm-hmm. like, I think I believe Toolbox Pro is even the one that can do face ID detection. So you can add, mm-hmm. you know, because face ID just returns a yes or a no, which can be accessed by a developer. So you can add face ID to a shortcut, you know, just like crazy, crazy stuff, but it can really up your game when you're building your shortcuts. Can even do, I was noticing yesterday, I was looking at it and it can even do things like detect what mode of transportation I'm on. Am I on a bus or driving or walking or cycling or things like that? So that can actually, suddenly that functionality becomes available to a shortcut just from having installed this, this app. Yes, my favorite action is actually detecting whether or not audio is playing because the shortcut that I run when I get home through Pushcut, um, it checks then through Tollbox Pro if audio is playing and it only hands off to my HomePod if audio is playing. Um, and that is so useful because otherwise it was just setting my audio to the HomePod and then later I would go to play something on my iPhone and I would be confused as to why my desk was suddenly rumbling uh, because my HomePod sits on my desk and... Uh, yeah. And so now I, I don't have that problem because it only hands off the audio playing if I'm listening to something. Um, and that works great for me. And we're just a couple months into this. I mean, by the way, if you're a shortcuts field guide customer, I'm going, I'm working on some videos on this stuff. So we'll, that, that course will get updated for these, but it's just like, I feel like we're just starting. There's yes. going to be even more of these apps and like, you know, Adam Tao, you know, our friend, you know, that we've talked to on the show has got stuff he's working on. I mean, there's a whole bunch of cool stuff coming out for shortcuts. And this is exactly what we get because Apple opened it up to third-party development. I mean, I'm so happy with what they've done with shortcuts. I mean, the fact that we're having a conversation about realistically using iOS as an automation tool is really because of what's happened with shortcuts. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And I think this is part of a shift of from apps being kind of the the focus of attention to apps being still very important, but something that provides more of a service where it's going to be, I think, become more and more focused on what do you want to do and the apps that are providing that functionality in the background become, they're still very important, but they don't, they're, we're not talking about the apps we're talking about, sort of the, the tasks, if that makes sense. Yeah. So really what I want to do is, you know, get into my car and, go to my next destination while listening to podcasts. And I almost don't even need to know what app is playing the podcast and what app is providing the navigation and so forth. It's, it's more important that the technology is delivering on 
on, uh, you know, the objective there. I have to agree. Uh, so, for example, uh, one that's especially pertinent to you, Tim, is uh, OmniFocus recently added some uh, extra shortcut support. Um, and there, there is a, a little bit of a thing with shortcuts because OmniFocus was popular before shortcuts built in actions for them, but it's still using the old OmniFocus, uh, you know, information um, from way back uh, with contacts instead of tags. But they've got this new action called Find Items, which I'm really liking, and I'm wondering if you're using that as well. Uh, I've just started to uh, started to play with that a bit. Um, it's one of those that it's still still relatively new. I haven't haven't necessarily found surfaced all of the use cases for it, but it's, I'm really happy to know it's there and I'm sure I will be, be making good use of it. But uh, yeah, some of these, uh, I'm sort of, sometimes I get used to doing things in the, the older way and I need to remind myself of, of these, these new ways of doing things and revisit, uh, you know, my current automations and say, could I modernize this? Could I make it more convenient? And there's other cases where I have kind of an older way of doing something with an automation that's working just fine. So I don't necessarily give those the attention because there there's already a, a working solution in place. This episode of the automators is brought to you by Kensington, the professional's choice. Find out the right docking solution for your organization today over at kensington.com slash automators. Kensington are the people who make universal docking stations that are designed to increase productivity. It's so easy to use. You can get access to more ports and make your sleek MacBook, Chromebook, or other laptop as powerful as a desktop. It's plug-and-play with no driver, so you can enjoy up to dual 4K displays with HDMI and DisplayLink video connectors, plus USB 3.0, USB-C, and Thunderbolt 3 with power delivery available. The Kensington engineering team has three decades of experience in high-volume manufacturing of hardware IT products, plus rigorous test cycles and quality control. This means that their products are tested above industry standards. When you're going to get a docking station for your Mac, you want something that's going to work, not just the day you pull it out of the box, but for years into the future, and that is Kensington. If you're an IT decision maker looking to finding the right docking solution for your organization, Check Kensington's Pro Concierge program and test drive a docking solution today. Head over to kensington.com slash automators right now to check out Kensington. That's kensington.com slash automators to learn more. And our thanks to Kensington for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. I'm using this action actually in that same when I get home shortcut that I talked about before. If there are tasks that I have marked, so I have a tag of um, when I get home. Um, and uh, I, I had tried previously adding a location trigger to this and OmniFocus. But as we mentioned in our iBeacon episode, location triggers are just so large that even on the smallest setting, it was notifying me outside of my home and I was forgetting about things. Um, so I've now got it to check when, when I run my I'm home shortcut, it checks whether or not there are any tasks with this tag, and then it will show them to me if there are any tasks with that tag. If there aren't any tasks with that tag, um, then it just doesn't show me anything, um, because I, it, I then run a keyboard maestro macro on my Mac, which opens up my, uh, at home tag. Um, so that's everything that's available at home. Uh, but it's not something that has to be done as soon as I get home. Okay, so so Rose, you, you can't just say that. Now you got to explain a little bit about it. So, 
Uh, Mike, I'm guessing you're running, was it an if statement on the uh, the find in OmniFocus? Yeah, so so find tasks in OmniFocus, you can filter for all sorts of things like tags and projects and available and uh, completed items even, all sorts. Um, and then I just do an if, um, and then it says if items, because that's what the, the find items action produces. And I just say has any value. That's what it defaults to, yeah. and that works perfectly for my use case. Um, and then I just have a, a show result action um, because if I ever wanted to run this on my home pod, I could. Um, and it would theoretically then speak these things to me. Um, and yes, then it just goes in there. And uh, it, the, the running the keyboard maestro macro, as Tim mentioned earlier, it's a get contents of URL to just get the contents of the URL, which doesn't do anything on the shortcut side. But it, aside from tell the URL that it's been called, and then the URL, URL does URL the magic. Trigger. Yeah, yeah. And this might be a good case to use that uh, one we were talking about earlier in push cuts where you can have a delayed notification. Um, mm -hmm. Especially if you don't have iBeacons, you could say when I'm in the general area of my home, maybe even wait 15 minutes and and display the, the home tasks, you know, once I know I've gotten, had the time to go up the elevator and take off my jacket and things like that. Because it can almost be a bit jarring, I think, to come home and then be presented with a list of tasks, and I'd I'd rather have a little time to settle in before before uh, you know having that pop up on the screen. So I think that's that's yeah, another really good use of that that delayed notification. And if you did happen to just come home for a moment because you forgot your gloves or something like that, it's maybe not even going to trigger because you're not in a position where you're able to do anything at home because you're just there very very uh, briefly. Mm -hmm. That that's a really good trick. So Tim, um, we just released an episode on iBeacons, and you've mentioned it several times in the show. As I understand, you've got one now in your car. You've got mm -hmm. one in your uh, uh, co-working space. Where else do you have your iBeacons? Uh, and then I have one in the office as well. Those are the th the three main ones. Uh, yeah, and I think they're going to be more in my future. I'm I'm just going to start sort of starting to get my head around the different uses for these things and. Uh, and I have been tempted, as you talked about in the episode with Simon, to to plant some in public spaces. But uh, <laughs> fortunately, I've come up with some alternatives to that, just uh, different ways of, of triggering location aware things. But yeah, I'm quite kind of fascinated by the the possibilities that they open up. And, and um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I think, Rose, you take one traveling with you as well in your suitcase. So. Yes, yes, I yeah, do. Yeah, I think I, I still have one iBeacon that's not called for, so I think that'll be going in the suitcase. Which manufacturer did you go with? Uh, the Estimo ones, which I think you recommended, yeah. Rose, back in the day. Yeah, and they're yeah. quite uh, they're quite sophisticated. I guess some of them are are very very simple, but these will even sense like the temperature and things in the in the space they're in. Um, do some fairly fancy things beyond the the more sort of basic functionality. Yes, yes, uh, that's the ones we recommended in the iBeacon episode as well. And for me, they work great. They have an advertised battery life of two years, and mine have definitely held out like two, two and a half, I think. Um, and so I, I replaced the batteries in mine recently. One of them died, um, and I noticed because my home automation stopped running. Um, and then I just ordered batteries and replaced all of them because uh, you can replace the batteries in those, which is very useful. Oh yeah, you can. They don't make it very obvious that you can do that, but I think you just pull the sticker off and. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't actually stuck the the sticker part onto anything because I keep moving mine around. The one on my desk yeah, currently lives too. in a mug, um, but it previously lived in a desk drawer. It may go back to the desk drawer if I end up with more pens, and so it doesn't fit in the mug anymore. But uh, it, 
you don't need to stick it to anything if you don't want to, but you can just peel off that sticky pad and replace the battery inside of it. And the nice thing about having those while traveling is you're kind of creating your own geofence without having to put in like the location, the hotel or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of a portable sort of uh, homing beacon in a sense. And, yes. Um, they are a bit bulky, though. I find the Estimo ones, I don't know, there might be ones that are a bit more compact if you're traveling yeah. very light. But I, I've been playing with some Gigaset ones, um, but the Gigaset ones I found are more, much more like tile uh, beacons. Um, and I'm struggling actually to get the UUID of these because I have too many iBeacons running around. And so I don't actually know which one belongs to to the gigaset uh one that i've been experimenting <laughs> yeah. with but it's about the same size as a tile uh it's just a lot cheaper well i think that's not going to be the end of ibeacon discussion on automators <laughs> <laughs> i doubt it <laughs> i think there'll be a since they're not officially like supported by shortcuts i think there'll be a little bit of a fringe technology for now but but they are um if anyone's interested there it is quite easy to get up and running with them it's it essentially just becomes another location once you add it to something like pushcut and yeah. and then you can just treat it like you would a, a geofence that's using the gps and the ability to set the transmission strength really gives you like a third dimension to to a, a trigger that you don't have otherwise you yeah know? so you can have a trigger when you walk into the room instead of when i walk into the building yeah, exactly. All right. Well, well, Tim Stringer, thank you so much for coming on the automators and sharing all this cool automation with us. Everybody, you should go over to Learn OmniFocus and check out the stuff Tim does. He also um, does coaching and consulting and Technically Simple. And as you can tell from this episode, Tim's just a great teacher and he's got a lot of great ideas and I'm sure he could help you if you're looking for some help with this stuff. Uh, any other websites or places people should go to see you, Tim? Um, that's about it. Uh, timstringer.com is one where I post more on the personal side of life, my yoga and meditation practice and things like that. And, um, so you can check that out. And I'm on Twitter at Tim Stringer, T-I-M-S-T-R-I-N-G-E-R. All right. We'll put links for all of this stuff in the show notes. We are the automators. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. And you can find the forums over at talk.automators.fm. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. Goodbye, everybody.